It's good to be in worship with you. Uh, If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Hebrews 11 together, as we've been doing now for some time. This morning, we're going to look at verses 13 to 16. And um, as you you find that, um, as a reminder, we've been walking through this series on faith, right? Uh, For the last month or so, we've sort of been revisiting the same question over and over again. And that is, how does my faith change the way that I think and the way that I act and therefore the way that I live. And to do this, we've been looking through this chapter of Hebrews, looking at all these heroes of the faith to to see what what they did in their lives. But this morning, we're gonna find that the author takes this pause and he summarizes now what this chapter is really getting at. For our time, I wanna wanna talk with you about what faith can do when you set your, your thoughts on the things above rather than the things below. And as you'll see in your bulletins, we, I've titled the sermon, Look Up. So let's look, let's look, before we look up, let's look at God's word, verse 13 through 16 together. Let's, let's hear now the word of the Lord. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear they're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. So a few years ago, my parents came up for a camping trip to the Beartooths, and um, anytime I ever talk about the Beartooths, it has to come with this qualifier of you must go. Anybody, show of hands, who has not been to the Beartooths? Let me just call you out for a minute. If you've not been to Beartooths, okay, this summer, that is your task. And, and my dad's words when I showed him the first time, he said, this place is better than Denali. I've never been to Denali, but I'm going to take his word for it. The Beartooths, and um, uh, we, we began to set up camp, and uh, we immediately found out the mosquitoes were just prolific. Side note, don't go there like early July, okay? That's when the mosquitoes come out. But they were horrendous, so we traveled back down into Red Lodge, uh, down the mountain, to look for this mosquito net for our canopy. And as we rolled into town, my mom's phone lit up. We were back in cell phone range. She had this ominous call, this, this voicemail from my grandpa. He said to her, call me when you get this, we need to talk. As I sat in the back seat with the girls, my mom called home, and I heard my grandpa's voice on the line And I could tell right off the bat, things were not good. First, I heard the words pancreatic cancer. And then I heard the words final stages. And then after a few minutes of listening, I heard my mom ask the hard question that she already knew. She said, so we have days to weeks. Her grandpa lived a good long life, right? But but you could feel the gut punch in that moment. I figured it was best to take the girls for a walk, so I left my parents in the truck. And we walked by this church, we went and sat near these front steps, and I sat there sort of processing and taking it in. And it hit me, you know, life is a series of exams, right? Some are really easy to pass. You don't have to hardly study, there's the blip on the radar. And other exams are tough hike. They require more of us than we maybe even thought we had. And in particular, I have to say, I've always hated the pop quiz. Right, the, the, the one that you're not prepared for, even though you probably should have been. 
But of all the tests in this life, I wonder, how does one keep the faith until their very last breath? Verse 13 says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, having seen and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged they were strangers and exiles on this earth. As I said earlier, this author of Hebrews, all throughout this chapter so far, he's in this rhythm, laying out these examples, one after another of the faith, right? Almost as if like a cadence to a song. By faith, Abel worshiped. By faith, Enoch walked with God. By faith, Noah worked on an ark. By faith, Abram went out to an unknown land. Are you noticing all the W's? I worked hard on that just for you. By faith, Sarah waited for a son. And by now this author, he's halfway through this list and he just stops, almost as if to catch his breath. And he steps back and now he wants us to know what all this means. It'd be like sitting with a park ranger up at Mount Rushmore, right? There's Washington, there's Jefferson, there's Lincoln, there's Roosevelt, all heroes. You know why they're there? See, our lesson says, these all died in faith. To the very end, they were faithful and committed to following wholeheartedly their God. Seems to me though, that we're not probably talking about all the men and women on that list. I, I think it's much narrower than that. And here's why I say that, right? First, we're told that those who died in faith were exiles and foreigners. And not everyone on that list would probably fit that mold, right? You could argue that they were all exiles from the, the Garden of Eden by their sin. But in this case, the passage is talking about this land and promise. It doesn't really fit Abel. And at the very least, Enoch can't be on the list, right? Because we already learned weeks ago, Enoch never experienced death. He was taken up. So let's just start here. Who are these people who died in faith? Here's my bet. I think this passage is talking about Abraham and Isaac, Sarah, and Jacob. We learned two weeks ago, this was their story, right? Abram was told by God to go to this unknown land, to leave everything he knew, and, and with this, God promised him this land with blessing and protection and a population to go with, right? It was like an all-inclusive package deal. You get the land, you get the nations, you get the blessing, but now we fast forward three generations later and Hebrew tells us the promise, at least in their lifetime, had not come to roost. Abraham and his sons were literally exiles and foreigners among these nations who already occupied the land that God had told them he would give them. It'd be like God giving you, giving you the keys to your house and saying it's yours, this is, it's yours for now, um, but I, I need you to camp out in the backyard for a while until we get these squatters out. Verse 13, we're gonna drill hard into verse 13. Just notice this. None of them received the things of the promise. And yet despite the discrepancy, right, we're told somehow they all took their final breath still in faith. Like despite all the waiting, despite the longing, the, the desperation, all of them, not having received the promise, died trusting still in God. You turn to Genesis and this gets stark clear. Look at this in Genesis 23 verse four. Sarah has just died, right? And Abram says, I'm a sojourner and a foreigner among you. I'm an exile and a stranger. And what does he do? He begs for a tiny piece of property to bury his wife. 
The only property Abram ever owned was a grave. Think about that. God promises him a land and a people, and yet he's left with nothing. Genesis 24, 37, Abraham's son, Isaac, is now dwelling, not in his land, but we're told in the Canaanites' land. Genesis 28, 4, Isaac has his son Jacob, and he prays this fatherly blessing over him. You can see what it's about. He says, may God give the blessing of Abram to you and to your offspring with you that you might take possession of the land, the one you've been sojourning as an exile in. Grandpa, father, son. Verse 13 tells us all of them were strangers on the earth, waiting for God's promises to come to fruition. Strangers, the Greek word here is xenos where we get the word xenophobia, right? Fear of the other. They lived as misfits. They didn't belong. They were literally tent dwellers passing as strangers in their own backyard. And like soldiers in a distant land, verse 13 tells us they watched the promise and greeted it, saluted it from afar. And yet all of them died clinging to faith. How is that? This week, the CDC came out with a report, you might have seen it, that will make a a girl dad think. It said 57% of teen girls today are now constantly depressed and hopeless. Parents, grandparents, take note. 57%. In 2011, the number was 36%. 12 years later, it's now 57, if you believe it. Nearly one in three teens have seriously considered suicide in the last year based on this study. Just about every major newspaper picked this up and what's interesting is everyone has a different theory for why, no one can figure this out. But let's just zoom in and think about teenagers for a minute. Teens, if you're in the room, pardon me, this is my guess, right? Just think about the life of a teen. First, they begin with this social media onslaught that that lies to them about how perfect life should be, right? From, From day one, that's been the lens by which they've seen the world. Them and their parents inundated with doctored pictures and influencers who who cause them to believe they'll never look the part. First day of school, what does a teen do? A little active shooter training, right? Not because it might happen, because it's happening everywhere. We just lived through a pandemic. Depending on your age, you have very little to no reference point of what life was before that. Stir in identity politics. A barrage of the truth is relative. The lie that there is no God. It's kind of a rough situation. You know, as followers of Christ, I think we can relate to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, right? We find ourselves waiting. Waiting on the promises that God has given us. Feeling like exiles in a foreign land. You probably saw too this this week what some are calling an awakening or a revival in Asbury. Anybody seen that? Asbury's had a history of revivals and for over a week now, there's, there's hundreds of people flocking to this church. Uh, all, the, all the forums of pastors and seminary scholars are trying to figure out like, what's the Holy Spirit doing? But let me just ask you, all ages coming from all over the nation now to this place, what are they hoping for? What is it that's drawing them there? See, deep within, there's a longing, right? in all of us for something more. 
And I don't know about you, but I, I want to know, like, how do I help my children and my grandchildren and even my great-grandchildren to, to be steady in faith until they take their last? Here's at least part of the answer. Look at this in verse 14. It said, for people who speak like this, they make it clear. They're seeking not the promised land, but a homeland. And things get really then super clear in verse 16. Look at this. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. See, this should perk our ears up, right? This, this tells us something. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, they could have easily obsessed over all the things they didn't have. Over the temporary problems of their day, the struggleness of homelessness and waiting. And yet that wasn't their mindset. Now, Hebrews tells us, they were never focused on what they could see. They were too occupied with things unseen. That's what faith is, right? The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things we can't see. They were longing for a, a much better place, right? A, a heavenly place, a, a garden of Eden, the one where God walked with his people again, the fatherland. I feel like this desire is, is inherent in every human being on the planet, right? There is something in us. You don't have to walk around on this planet long to, to realize there is something missing in this life. Really, just take the CDC report on teens and let's expand this. And just think about that brief season of life, but set that aside now. And I want you to think about your own life. How is it with your soul? What have you been longing for? When you hear news of, war and rumors of war. When you read of 40,000 people gone like that in an earthquake in Turkey. When you read headlines, even just locally, right, of fentanyl in the Bozeman Mall and cartels now in Montana. Where does your mind go? You know, and then we have all of our personal issues, right? Maybe it's your, your children, your grown children, Maybe your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's just exhaustion. Or maybe even this week, there's some of us who it is illness and death itself. How, how, do, you, how do you watch your faith stay fervent to the very end? See, I'll start here, right? Praise God. This is the good news. It's the operative work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, right? That causes us to, to persevere in faith. But maybe we get a glimpse into how he operates. Look at this, what comes next in verse 15. It says, if they had been thinking of that land back where they came from, of course they would have had the opportunity to return. Now let's just think about what they were thinking about. Why didn't they retreat back to the old days? To the previous life, the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, right? That's where Abram came from. It was the place where life was simple and home was yours. No, but our passage tells us they never thought about it. They never considered going back. And I feel like so often in our longing, we, we try to fill this hole, right, with unhealthy things. Instead of pressing onward in faith, we, we so quickly shrink back to the old ways of me. I was listening to a podcast this week uh, of a doctor who speaks about this in detail. His name's Dr. Gabor Matei. And he makes this case that all of us, inside every one of us in this room, we all have some sort of an addiction that we use to mask the hard things in life. 
all of us, whether it's your eating habits or your spending binges or alcohol or drugs or sex or the internet, we all have something inside of us, right, that goes for temporary pleasures because we know, we know something's missing and yet in the long run they lead to our destruction. And the reason that we shrink back from the, to the old ways, right, the reason this doctor says that, that we face this problem over and over again is that deep inside of us we're all trying to fill this gap between what should be and what is. And when it comes to the trials of this life, we often fall into that, that trap of yesterday's idol. If we could just go back to the, the sinful comfort blanket of, of what was home, we'd be good again. See, but the problem with that retreat, right, is that for those in Christ, we shouldn't be thinking, seeking the things on this earth, but we should be longing for the better country. And when you have your eyes fixed on on eternity, that's when life starts to change. See, in the way that we find our true north, right, is by this simple confession. It's this, it's this simple. This world is not my home. Like the patriarchs, we're, we're just passing through. Look again at verse 13. Look at how clear this is. They didn't just find themselves strangers on exiles on earth. We're told they acknowledged it. Like, Almost as if they were, they were proud of it. They, they confessed it. Man, I'm not home here. I belong to a different kingdom. Just open up the Bible and, and flip through the pages. This is the story of our faith. To belong to Jesus Christ is to set your eyes in a different place. Philippians 3.20. They set their minds on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. From there we await a savior. Ephesians 2.19 you're no longer strangers and aliens. Now you're fellow citizens with the saints and the members of God's household. Colossians 3, set your mind above, not on the things of earth. You familiar with the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God? Sarah and the band did a beautiful job playing this a couple weeks ago, a rendition of this. Um, and Martin Luther, you might remember, um, wrote that famous hymn back in 1527. The interesting part about that hymn is Luther, when he wrote it, he was probably walking through what you would say was the worst year of his life. Probably the worst year of anyone's life. In one year, get this, he had been fighting off physical and mental illness that hit him so hard, he was debilitated by it. And the moment that it happened was when his body finally succumbed to a dizzy spell halfway through a sermon. Thank you for never putting me through that. The politics of the church had gotten so bad a few months later, his physical demise went downhill and he had this intense buzzing in his ear that was so loud. He was at this dinner party. He hit the floor and he yelled to his wife, bring me water for I shall die. This is what he wrote to a friend. Look at this. He said, I spent more than a week in death and hell. My entire body was in pain. I think we've got that quote. My entire body was in pain and I still tremble. Completely abandoned by Christ, I labored under the vacillations and storms of desperation and blasphemy against God. But through the prayers of the saints, God began to have mercy on me and pulled my soul from the inferno below. Later, the plague, the plague, the literal plague, comes to Wittenberg. Luther loses numerous close friends and family. Even though his wife was pregnant, he opened up his home as a hospital. And somehow, in that exact same year, this is the hymn he wrote. 
And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure for lo, his doom is sure. One little word can fell him. See, Luther was seeking a different kind of homeland, right? And here's the hard truth. No matter what test that you're faced with right now, as one commentator put it, the final exam's coming. Everybody on this bus is terminal. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having greeted them from afar, having acknowledged they were strangers and exiles on this earth. You know, it's interesting to me how desperate we are to cover up the temporary nature of this life, right? The Bible tells us our, our days are numbered, life is like a vapor. It's comical to me, though, how, how quickly we'll try to cover over that reality. A good friend of mine, Stephen Moorfield, wrote a book called Always Longing, and in this book, he talks about how, how bad we are with, with the word death. You ever thought about that? You know, death is like a four-letter word to us, right? It's, it's like too harsh to acknowledge. It's the thing in the room we don't ever want to admit. We'd rather say things like this, he passed away. Or she just fell asleep and she never came back. And no one uses the word graveyard anymore, right? We'd much prefer Memorial Park or Butterfly Garden. We don't call it a funeral. Now we're invited to celebration of life. See, and while we look the other way, we're, we're sold this bill of goods at the same time that somehow this, this, this land on this side of eternity, that's what we should all be living for. That's what matters. And we've grown to idolize not the gray hairs and the wisdom that comes with, but, but instead we worship youth and agility. Just last year alone, the anti-aging industry was worth $62 billion dollars. And yet from the pastor's seat, I, I've had this unique privilege of watching what happens over and over again when death comes knocking. There is nothing in this life that can prepare you, I assure you, for watching a loved one close their eyes and their grip fade from your hand as you realize and think, maybe even for the first time in your life, man, that went fast. And it's in that moment those moments of desperation, despair, and death itself, where we really have two choices, right? You can look up to the better country, the heavenly one, or you can double down and keep clinging to the things of this life that will fade in the distance anyway. See, it's, it's not that we isolated ourselves from this world, world bad, heaven good. That's not the case, right? It's been said like this, ours is to live in it, not of it. Ours is to influence it, not be influenced by it. Abraham's dwelling in tents. He's a nomad. He's a wanderer. He, to the very end, he, somehow though, he's living his life by faith. How? Because he knew this world wasn't his home. He had his mindset on something far greater that was given than any promise he had received. And just imagine now all the things that we know that Abram didn't. From Genesis to Revelation, you have the complete canon, the entire story of God's redemption. So you can look at someone on their worst day, even their deathbed, and you can tell them, hey, this isn't the end of God's story for you. I've got the rest. 
Jesus told us, John 14, he's going to prepare a place for us, that he's gonna come back and bring us with him, that one day he's gonna take this earth that we tread upon as sojourners and exiles, and he said he's gonna make it home again, a new city, a promised land, a heavenly one. And God was not ashamed to be called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why is that? I think the apostle Paul said it well. In fact, this is my life verse, Philippians 1.21. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Here's something I wanna invite us to cling to this week. If you've been finding yourself feeling a little bit strange, as an exile on this earth, if you've been wrestling with what it, it feels like to, to be in a sojourner kind of status, let me just say this, you're doing it right. And we might not see it in this lifetime, right? We might not see the promise in our own, but here this one day is coming. God has told us when all the wrongs of this life will be restored. There is one day coming where Jesus will return in glory to bring you and I home again. Until then, this is our calling. Live as Christ. Die in faith. And in the meantime, look up. Pray with me, will you? God, we just want to confess out loud um, that to follow you does mean to be in exile. Lord, to look different, to be different, to act different, to think different, to live different. God, we just want to confess the idols that are before us, Lord, the, the things that we cling to as if they're permanent. We know they're not. And God, we just want to ask for your help, Lord, to keep our, our eyes focused on the heavenly place, to keep our eyes fixed on the, the one who has made the promise that we can be a certain of. And God, we know that when we do that, things change. And so Lord, we just pray that for those places in our lives where we've been trying to cover up the reality before us, where we've been lost in our, in our own ways, in our own addictions, in our own struggles. God, would you remind us that there's a better way? Would you keep us mindful that there's a promise that has been made to us that in Jesus Christ, you will never leave or forsake us. There's nothing, not even death, that can separate us from your love. Lord, and we look forward to that celestial city, to that kingdom come, when there will be no more pain or suffering or sorrows, where there will be no more struggles, temptations, trials. But Lord, we will worship you in a season of eternal bliss forever. God, with our eyes on that prize, would you help us to live for you. And God, when we take our last breath, God, our prayer, our heart's desire is that we too would die in faith. In Jesus' name, all God's people said.